Welcome to the Revitalizing Doctor podcast. We interview trailblazers in medicine that embody the revitalized women vision to empower women to innovate and influence medicine to value authenticity, respect, and work-life harmony. We recognize the challenges in medicine, and we're committed to providing coaching-informed strategies to help you go from surviving to thriving. Today, I have Dr. Beverly Joyce. She's a practicing OB-GYN and also author of The Birth of Joy, a female physician's healing journey through childhood trauma, midlife burnout, and the rediscovering of passion and purpose. Dr. Joyce, it's so lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Andrea. It's lovely to be here. I appreciate your uh, time and, and efforts. The subtitle for your book, these are all just like the words that describe my own midlife unraveling, as Dr. Brene Brown calls it. So I'm excited to explore this with you in some depth. The way we like to start, though, is can you tell our audience your own doctor origin story? Why did you become a doctor? Absolutely. Well, when I was a kid, I was fascinated with the whole birthing process. And I read a series of books called All Creatures Great and Small. You know, there were like four issues of it, and I read all of them. And the best parts to me were when the veterinarian was saving the mother cow and, you know, she was in labor and and he pulled out the little calf and it just immediately went to the mom and everybody was happy and healthy. So I originally thought I would be a veterinarian, but as it turns out, I was just allergic to basically every animal and hay and grass and everything. So I got started doing a little shadowing gig with my mother's OBGYN. And that's kind of what clinched it for me for OBGYN. I mean, it was the reproductive process in people, obviously. And then as I went on in my medical training, I recognized a lot of the things in OBGYN that really appealed to me, which was mostly it's healthy women. It's obviously huge milestones in the lives of women, and you're mostly bringing joy to families. Obviously, there are some downsides with miscarriage and cancer and things like that. But the continuity of care in taking care of women over their lifetime is really the most appealing piece to me. That is so beautiful. And I love the parts of your story where things outside of your control kind of intervened. You know, you couldn't control that you were allergic to things. And so then it sent you on. A different path. I know we'll get into it more, but I would like to at least get your initial thoughts on the reasons that you're still a doctor. Are they the same as what you've outlined or have they changed? Well, I think your attitude in life and medicine changes over time and you know, that's one of the things that I realized when I started to kind of burn out in OBGYN. And and what really burned me out was being available 24-7 for my patients every day, all the time. And 
as you can imagine, I mean, that just is unsustainable, especially with a family, with children, and just with trying to live a life. So, you know, when that happened to me, and I, I kind of go through that in my book, what exactly kind of transpired, but it really made me refocus on what do I want out of my life? And, you know, I did sort of the pro and con kind of thing, like, okay, well, do I quit my job entirely? Do I go to a different practice where I'm doing the same thing? Do I leave medicine, but do something else? So, I mean, what I arrived at was actually staying in the practice that I was in, but changing my hours, cutting back. I cut back to three days a week. Uh, I eventually was able to stop doing deliveries, which meant I was not on call anymore, which meant that I was sleeping in my own bed every night. I wasn't getting paged from soccer games or uh, movies or dinners or anything like that, which used to be the case. So it was my ability to morph my job, which kept me in it and also sort of sent me on a different path to really enjoying life. That is just such a powerful process that you're describing. And I've reflected back on how I've changed my medical practice you know, to synthesize it for someone listening right now, it was a combination of looking at what are my values? What are my boundaries and my priorities? And if you take out a piece of paper right now, if you're listening and write down those three things, columns, and then you start writing things out, there's going to start to become a plan that could emerge from that. At least one Thing you could do. Similar to you, I was at a point in my career for a number of reasons, I wasn't sleeping in my own bed every night. And that sounds, you know, some people are like, what do you mean? It's like, well, I was working three hours away when I was in the Navy. I was in Los Angeles and then I was in 29 Palms. And I eventually just got to a point where I'm like, I want to sleep in my own bed. <laughs> The majority of the population does. So I don't really think this is a huge thing that I'm asking for. It's a rather basic thing that most humans get to do. And so I'm going to set that boundary that I sleep in my own bed each night. And it makes a huge difference. I mean, as we know, and we'll talk about as we move on, sleep is such an important piece of how you can be healthy in your life. And for an OBGYN, sleepless nights are basically the norm from residency all the way up until you eventually give up OB because you just can't manage it. You're physically unable to keep managing it. Yeah. Do you have any thought, you know, part of what we spend some time on here at Revitalize is obviously you got to get your own house in order and do what's right for you individually. But if you were looking at ACOG or some board involved in OB-GYN, how could OB-GYN be restructured to take care of the doctors more? 
because another premise here revitalizes what's good for doctors is good for patients. Absolutely. I think a lot of it is what you touched on with values and priorities, but the training programs also need to have those values. So, I mean, they need to value the fact that people need to sleep. And yes, it's important to have continuity of care, but does that really mean at the expense of your own health? Are you still able to learn those principles without killing yourself realistically? So I think that's one big piece. And I think now it is changing a little bit in OBGYN because more women are having families in their training and they're having that expectation that they're going to have maternity leave. You know, for example, I was in a very small residency program where we only had three per class when I started. It expanded uh, after the second year to four per class. But there was absolutely no way you could get sick, have a baby, leave on vacation for an extended period of time without really impacting on all of the other people in the program. And, you know, it was sort of expected that you were just going to buckle down for those four years and put your life on hold. So I think that is changed a little bit now, or it's in the process of changing. And so I think that is one of the things that will be helpful for sustainability long term. Absolutely. I think there's so many limiting beliefs on the way training has to be. And when we take a step back, and I truly believe this to my core, that a lot of these problems stem from the patriarchy and misogyny. And we don't have to do that anymore. What if residency was six years? I don't know. That's what it needs to be in order for people to not literally die. I mean, we have physicians committing suicide at an astronomical rate. Almost every residency director I know and doctor, either they have fell asleep at the wheel of their car or they know somebody. And many of us know somebody who's crashed their car. How is this acceptable? And it comes back to me about the boundaries piece that we are essentially systematically taught to strip away every boundary around our lives. And the boundaries are what's going, I believe, get us back to where medicine can actually be a healing profession again. Yeah, I love how you said that. And just anecdotally, you know, I trained at Johns Hopkins, which was a very patriarchal system. And I remember specifically when I was doing my general surgery rotation, they jokingly, in quotes, said, well, you're on call every other night, but you miss half the cases. Like, right, if they had their way, you'd be on call every night and be doing 24-7 all the time. So yeah. I think the boundaries is, is definitely an important piece. Are you familiar with Halstead, the father of surgery from Hopkins? Yeah. Do you know his backstory? Cocaine addict. Backstory. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Yeah, So stay awake all those hours. Exactly. (laughs) I heard that story and I'm like, 
So that's how we came up with residency. That's how we came up with this insane schedule is it was literally the father of surgery was cocaine fueled. Can we all just like take a breath here and say like, that's fucked up. I love that I get to say the F word on my podcast. You get to say I reserve that. it. I reserve it for moments like this. Like that is completely like, let's say these words out loud. That is ridiculous. Right. And then let's, and I truly believe it's going to be the women. Yeah. Solve this and say, absolutely not. We are no longer holding to schedules that were rooted in a cocaine fueled state. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Dr. Risa E. Lewis dropping in to tell you about a book that Dr. Adara Landry and I wrote. It's called Microskills, Small Actions, Big Impact. It's a business self-help book coming in 2024 by HarperCollins. Pre-order now, Microskills, Small Actions, Big Impact, wherever you buy your books. The other thing I'll say about the whole residency and trying to push everything into that four years or whatever, however many years your program is, is that it sort of presupposes that when you get to the end, you've arrived. You know, we call this <laughs> the arrival fallacy, right? It's like, okay, well, I'm going to be happy when I finished my residency. Well, why don't we just enjoy our residency? If it were not so painful, we would be learning, we would be doing what we want to do, which is take care of patients, and we'd have a life. What's wrong with that? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I want to change gears a little bit and dig into more of your book. The other reason I'm really drawn to it is you start with the uh, adverse childhood events. And for our listeners that aren't familiar with that term, it's it's actually well described in the literature. They're, the acronym is ACEs. And there's this at scale you can do. It's widely available on the internet. And I would encourage our listeners to do it and, and find out what your score is. And also think about it when you're interacting with patients that you know, many people have these adverse childhood events. But what I want to spend time on is how did your ACEs affect your doctor journey? And quickly, I'll just say what I found with my own ACEs is I didn't think they were a problem and they weren't a problem early on in my medical career. It was later as the burnout started to increase that some of the triggers when I unpack them were actually rooted in my childhood. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, when you're going through your childhood, I mean, you don't necessarily say, oh, this is an adverse childhood experience. But when I started to really unpack my relationship with my mother after she passed away, and I was also kind of experiencing burnout and menopause, I really started to, your word, unpack kind of what happened to me. And there's a really good book that Oprah Winfrey wrote with um, another doc that's called What Happened to Me or What Happened to You. I would ex I encourage people to read that. But what I found was out of, I think there are 11 that are listed, adverse childhood experiences. I had four, um, which included 
being a child of divorce, being a child of a substance abuser, being psychologically abused. I was never physically or sexually abused, so I'm glad of that. And my mother uh, tried to commit suicide. And so, you know, those four things I packed away and sort of buried them. But they started to emerge as I was recognizing things, the way I interacted with people, relationships, especially when I started to recognize in myself things that my mother had done or how she had influenced me that I wasn't proud of. And so, you know, it took some therapy, it took some counseling, it took a lot of self-reflection and what happened was I just started writing. And so I never intended to write a book. I just was sort of writing as a cathartic exercise to really start to understand what was going on and to try and move through some of those things. Yeah. Can you maybe give an example of how you were saying that some of these events in your childhood would then show up or reemerge in not great ways. You know, I from for me, what I can say is there was just a lot of reactivity in my house. There wasn't a lot of Brene Brown will talk about like when her daughter would have a problem, you know, instead of just rushing in to fix it, of sitting down and, and being with her child and letting her child express an emotion, but not needing to fix it. Like I remember somebody picked on me at school and my mom just blew up about it and then marched into the principal's office and like was like, you know, you tell this other kid not to mess with my kid, which on one hand is like, go mom, like that's awesome. But on the other hand, it's like, well, you didn't really attend to the hurt that I was experiencing and you didn't really help me kind of figure out how to deal with that and certainly didn't teach me that I had any agency on how to navigate a conflict, um, which then later I can totally see how that pattern manifested with some of the, uh, the bullying that then happened as a doctor. Yeah. I mean, there are so many different examples that I could, could draw upon, but I think one that's pretty prominent is, you know, my mother and father divorced when I was very young. So I never really had family unit. I was an only child. And so it was just me and my mother and she was very controlling. She was a, a clinical psychologist and I think I was sort of her pet project. you know. And she expected me to be the perfect child. So you grow up having those expectations of yourself and then when you can't meet those expectations like in medical school, I didn't have any real coping mechanisms to really help myself understand that. And so my stress manifested in a lot of different ways. And then with regard to just having relationships, I didn't have a good model for what was a good marriage. My mother did eventually remarry when I was in about fourth grade. And that was such a volatile relationship. There was yelling and screaming and slamming doors. And, you know, that's kind of how I grew up thinking that mothers and fathers were with each other. And that really blocked me from being intimate with people 
in a truly meaningful way. I just, I didn't want to get married. I didn't want to have children. And it took a lot to kind of break down that experience and move through it. Thank you for sharing. I, I think I would highly encourage the listeners to take the, the ACEs book or exam. And I agree that book by Oprah and Dr. Bruce Perry, it's a very short read. I actually read it and I've talked about it on this podcast before during the worst throes of my burnout when I went on a sabbatical in 2021. And it was instrumental in propelling me on the healing journey because I feel like you're wired a certain way. Like, and even, I mean, you know this better than me as an OB guy. And like, starting when you're in your mother's womb, you're exposed to noise and sounds and hormones. And your nervous system gets wired a certain way. It doesn't mean it has to stay that way, but there's just base tendencies. And so then once I started to understand that, it helped me forgive myself for some things that I had, you know, really messed up on. That yes, I'm still accountable for every action, every word, everything I've ever done in my life. And it's not an excuse, but sometimes it is an explanation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when we start to really recognize those things is when we can grow. And, you know, the whole aspect of neuroplasticity is changing the wiring in your brain. So you mentioned reactivity. My mother was a screamer and, you know, she screamed at me all the time. And as a result of that, I always felt like I was the problem. And so when things would come up where there was confrontation in my life, I just, I would back down. I would be super, you know, introverted. You know, I always thought that the other person was right and I had to kind of placate them because, you know, it couldn't be me that had an opinion or that could potentially, you know, have an interaction with this person that didn't end up in an argument. (laughs) So it took a long time for me to be able to even have a conversation that wasn't confrontational with my husband, with my work partners, with nurses on L&D. It it really took a lot of work to kind of get to a point where I was able to do that. And we've gone down through the tough part of the story. I want to leave in this part one of our interview some hope for our listeners. How would you describe your practice and your life on the other side of going through this healing journey? Yeah, it was going through a washing machine and coming out on the other side. So what really helped me was making a decision to really honor myself. And so going through that practice that you mentioned of really looking at what are your values, what are your priorities? So I decided that I needed to prioritize myself and my health, particularly my mental health, which was what was being degraded by me being on call all the time and my family. And so 
when I was able to finally make a decision of how to do that and to implement it, which took, you know, three years or so to really be able to come through the other side of it, I felt so much more alive, partly because I was sleeping better, partly because I was just less stressed about all of the things that were pulling me in different directions. And that was where, you know, I couldn't really figure out what my priorities were. I thought, oh, my priorities are always my patients because that's what they teach us. You know, the patient Mm -hmm. is always coming first. So that's another thing I think in educational processes that we need to really kind of debunk. But when I started to prioritize myself and figure out, you know, what was it that was going to make me well, then I started getting interested in physician wellness. And that's what really took me on a new journey. So I created a physician wellness committee at my hospital. I took classes in how to manage stress with a system called HeartMath. I taught that to physicians at our hospital. I went and became a physician coach, which has been an amazing journey for me in learning and also meeting so many other women physicians because I always decided that, or I thought that I was the only one that was having a problem. And I think a lot of women physicians feel that way. They feel incompetent, inadequate. And so I thought through my experiences that I had the capability and the, I don't know, almost the necessity to help some of my women colleagues to understand that they don't have to do it that way. You know, a lot of us did it that way and it doesn't have to be that way. Oh my gosh. I just love this conversation. And I want our listeners to read your book and get inspired. How can they find you and find your book? So my coaching practice is called Dr. Joy Coaching, and it's the website is drjoycoaching.net. The book, as you mentioned, is called The Birth of Joy, Female Physician's Healing Journey Through Childhood Trauma, Midlife Burnout, and the Rediscovery of passion and purpose. And it's available on Amazon in paperback. And the ebook version will be coming out middle of January. And then there will also be an audio version coming out probably in early February. And I want our listeners to stay tuned because in part two, we are going to get into more of your journey, including how menopause impacted your personal and professional fulfillments. And you're also an OB-GYN. So I'm actually really excited to talk to you about this topic because you can speak to the science and the human perspective. Tune in next week as we talk more to author of The Birth of Joy, Dr. Beverly Joyce. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to The Revitalizing Doctor, a project of Revitalized Women Physician Circle. Our mission is to connect women physicians and allies through innovative, value-based coaching methods that align trust, support, accountability, and skill development to ignite the courage and clarity necessary to take bold actions, create change, and thrive. If you're interested in working with us, check out our website at peoplealwayshcc.com slash revitalize 
or email us at revitalizemm.info at gmail.com. This podcast represents the views of our host and guest. It does not reflect the views of any institution we work for or with.